0: Well, at this time, I'd like to dismiss the kids heading back to Children's Church, ages three to kindergarten, three to five years old. Feel free to head back and join Miss Susan back there for Children's Church. The rest of you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, we will be this morning. We're going to be in verses 10 through 12. Um, I'm going to read 3 through 9 in advance of that, just to set some context for us. We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning. Russ may have left you in suspense. You were wondering what Jack left up here for me. Just a little pumpkin spice cookie. I'll try not to eat it in the middle of the sermon. <laughs> Fall is here. <laughs> First Peter 1. Would you stand with me, if you're willing and able, as we read the Word of God together? I'm reading from the ESV. I'm going to begin in verse 3 of chapter 1, again, just to set some context. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 3-12, but we'll be focusing on 10-12 through 12 this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, And the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were in serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. You may be seated. Our Father and God, we pray that you would help us to love your word this morning, that we would gain an increased appreciation for, um, for you, your spirit, your son, and the fact that you speak to us and have not left us without knowledge of you. But we have something infinitely valuable, the good news of salvation in Jesus. Rest our hearts in that this morning, Lord, we pray. Amen. Are you a privileged person? That word, that topic of privilege has been a popular topic in recent years, that concept of privilege or being born with privilege. Uh, There are many privileges that we may be born into that we may be given. For example, uh, increasingly studies are showing that one of the privileges we might have is being born into a home with a married father and mother. Uh, culturally speaking, it's just true that you know, non-traditional homes, how you, whatever you might say or call that, a non-traditional home without a married father or mother are more common. So the popular thinking might be that as non-traditional homes become more common, that the advantage of being born into a married home, of a married father or mother, would be lessened, as it's just more normalized to not have that. What studies have found recently, and according to an article that was published even this last week, is that the opposite is true. You are more advantaged now than ever if you're born into a home with a married father and mother, that, generally speaking, those who are born into a home with a married father and mother do better in life and earn more money, higher education, well-off. Not true in every case. This is how stats work, right? Just generally speaking. It turns out the design of God is wise and has advantages. Is plain truth of life that not all are born with the same level of advantages or disadvantages. We may be uh, created equal, but we are not created into equal circumstances. We have more or less privilege. Jesus assumes that. And when Jesus teaches about this, he doesn't also assume that, therefore, we're not responsible for what we're given. In fact, just the opposite. We may be given various levels of talents, and we are then personally responsible to do something with what we are given, to be fruitful and faithful with that. But the underlying truth there is that we're born into different levels of relative privilege. We, as a people, have been born into an era a time with a great number of privileges, kind of historically unknown. We have modern medicine as a great privilege that we have. The ancient world could not dream of what we have. Antibiotics, immunizations, heart transplants. We have... Incredible privilege in modern medicine. We have privileges in travel. Crossing the Atlantic now takes hours and not weeks. We have privileges in communication and knowledge, the World Wide Web, the Internet, all, you might say curses, but blessings that brings. We have access to knowledge and data that is unheard of. We have privileges in food. We have freestyle soda machines. We were talking about this at our elder meeting. One of God's great mercies and gifts to us, a sign of the new creation, that you can go to one machine get any kind of soda you want, any flavor. Uh, Merlin himself would have been amazed at the alchemy that is at our fingertips that we have. We have all sorts of advantages, all sorts of privileges. We're a privileged people. These are the kind of things we talk about at our elder meetings, by the way. This is what we spend our hours on. Great fun. We are also a spiritually privileged people. Why? Because we happen, by God's grace, to live in an age in which we have true knowledge, a full knowledge, of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We know of his suffering. We know of his glory and salvation therein. I'll put it this way. This is your uh, telos statement, if you will. The good news is our great privilege. The good news is our great privilege. That's Peter's point in verses 10 through 12. He is writing to his readers, and remember, they're facing various trials, and he is giving them encouragements in verses 3 through 12 of how they might be encouraged through their trials. He reminds them of how God has caused them to be born again and kept a place for them in heaven and is keeping them and guarding them, protecting them for heaven. So he encourages them in that way. He encourages the people that in their trials, they're rejoicing, though they have not seen Jesus, though they have to live by faith, they're rejoicing. So Peter encourages his readers, you're rejoicing even in your trials. And now this last bit of encouragement that he gives to his readers as they face their trials, here's the encouragement that you have. You have the full knowledge of Jesus Christ in his suffering and in his glory. You have a knowledge of who Jesus is the great mystery of the whole scriptures, you have it available to you and not everybody has had that throughout history. You have the greatest piece of information. You have privileged communication. You have the answer to the greatest mystery of all time, the secret of the world's salvation. You have the good news. And that is your encouragement and that's our encouragement this morning. And every trial we face, we have this, the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news is our great privilege. Peter's going to talk about two things, uh, tell us two things about this good news. First, in verses 10 through 11, that this good news was the goal of the prophets. This is the goal of the prophets. This is what they were writing towards. This is what they were looking forward to. The good news is the goal of the prophets. And then in verse 12, he tells us it's the gift of the prophets. It's what they gave to us and given to us. The good news is the goal and the gift of the prophets. First, we'll look at verses 10 through 11. Where Peter tells us that the prophets of old wrote in anticipation of the good news. It was the goal of the prophets. Verse 10. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. There are some... Uh, historical mysteries that people have spent a great amount of time trying to solve. You can think of some popular mysteries like who shot JFK? Or what happened to Jimmy Hoffa's body? There's the old mystery of the disappearance of the Roanoke colony. In the days of the colonies in 1587, English colonists settled on Roanoke Island off the coast of North Carolina. Three years later, a supply ship landed there and found that the colony had disappeared. There was no sign of it whatsoever. The only thing they found was a mysterious carving on a tree that said Croatoan. And people spent a great deal of time theorizing trying to solve this mystery. What happened to the colony on Roanoke Island and what does that word mean? You can Google it and find answers for yourself. But people have spent time trying to solve these mysteries. The prophets spent their time trying to find out this great mystery. Who are the prophets? They are the people in the Old Testament chosen by God to speak God's word. God delivered. He revealed his word to them. And they had the job of delivering, communicating what God had spoken. No more, no less, they were to tell what God had spoken. They delivered God's word to Israel. Israel. And the prophets, as their words were written down, as they heard prophecies, Peter tells us they scoured those prophecies. They looked over those writings, those words, and tried to figure out this great mystery. What was the mystery? What did they desire to know about? What was the thing the prophets of Israel longed to know out of all the prophecies of Ezekiel and Daniel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and all of them? What was the one thing they were most interested in? What did they want to know more than anything else that their prophecies were about that they had not yet fully revealed to them? What was it they wanted to know? They wanted to know how and when the great savings act of, saving acts of Christ would take place. They wanted to know all about the Messiah. That was their great interest. That's what they scoured over and wanted to find out. When would this take place? How would this Messiah's work take place? Who would be this Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, who would experience suffering for God's people and then live in glory? Who was this and how would it happen? The Old Testament is all about this and the prophets are all about this. How would this take place? You might be familiar with Old Testament prophecies predicting the suffering of this Messiah, talking about the suffering of this Savior. Psalm 22.1 My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isaiah 53.7 He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that has led to the slaughter. A couple verses later in Isaiah 53.10 Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Zechariah 13.7 Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. We could go on and on and on about the sufferings of the Messiah predicted in the Old Testament. Just for bonus trivia, can you think of what is the first prediction of the suffering of the Savior in Scripture? It's the oldest first prediction, the first telling that the Savior would suffer. Genesis three fifteen. Curse on the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Right from the beginning, the Old Testament scriptures point to a suffering Savior, one whose, bru- whose heel would be bruised. The Old Testament also constantly points to the glories of the Savior. For example, Isaiah 9-7 of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Or Daniel seven fourteen. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The prophets had revealed to them this great mystery that one would come who would suffer but would reign in glory. How was it revealed to them? What does Peter say? It was the Spirit of Christ in them. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? It's not one that's used often in the New Testament. The Spirit of Christ. Who is that? Simply put, it's the Holy Spirit. But it's not often that the New Testament refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. And what do we mean by of Christ? Well, spirit of Christ means the spirit belonging to Christ or associated with Christ. The spirit who is with Christ, the spirit who is sent out by Christ. This is an important truth about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is of Christ. And in fact, it is the Holy Spirit's role to teach people about Christ. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And this is important. I think we've talked about this before, but I want to take the time to talk about it now. It is imperative that we understand what is it that the Holy Spirit does. What is his role? What is his ministry? And his ministry, this ministry of the Holy Spirit, primarily is to talk about Jesus. From the beginning, from the Old Testament, this was the Holy Spirit's role. And I say this because we tend to think that the Holy Spirit's jobs do all sorts of other things that Scripture doesn't really talk about. The Holy Spirit's role is maybe to get us to have ecstatic experience all the time. Or the Holy Spirit's role is to cause us to be happy at all times and all places and give us a wonderful feeling. And yes, there's joy in knowing Christ, but the point is the Holy Spirit's role is knowing Christ. And if it's not about knowing Christ, it's not the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells his disciples this he says to them he teaches them before he departs in the upper room in the gospel of John Jesus talks to his disciples and tells them what to expect when he goes away and in John 16 Jesus says I still have many things to say to you but you cannot bear them now when the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all the truth for he will speak not on his own authority But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit continues the ministry of Jesus Christ. What Jesus teaches, the Holy Spirit continues to teach. That's his role. Uh, J.I. Packer called the Holy Spirit's ministry a floodlight ministry. What does a floodlight do? Well, the role of a floodlight, if it's doing its role well, is not to draw attention to itself. A good floodlight is one you don't see and don't notice. What does it do? It shines on another and illuminates them. That is the work of the Holy Spirit and what he does. He shines on Jesus Christ and makes Christ known. So I would say, if there is some activity that doesn't make Christ known, is not the work of the Spirit. If there is a religion, a faith, a spiritual practice that does not in some way reveal Jesus Christ, it is not the work of the Spirit. The Spirit's job, by definition, by New Testament teaching, is to point to Jesus. So you do not have true spirituality without Jesus Christ and Him known. That's what the Holy Spirit was doing in the Old Testament. Pointing the prophets toward the Messiah toward Jesus Christ. The Spirit in them gave them a shape of things to come, an outline, a rough sketch of who Jesus was. But as we see here, the Holy Spirit didn't tell them everything about Jesus Christ. Why not? And they'll say, I don't know. I don't know why God didn't give all the information up front. But there's a thing that we call progressive revelation. Truth of God revealed over time. Progressive revelation. That over time, God progresses in his revelation that he gives to his people. There's a progression of what we hear from God. So, for example, Abraham heard from God. God spoke to Abraham. But Abraham didn't know everything about what was to happen. He didn't know everything about... Moses and his experience in Egypt. Abraham knew some things about what the people of God were to experience, but not all things. Moses was given greater revelation, further revelation as he come along, came along. But then Moses didn't know everything about what would lay in store for the Israelites. So the prophets came along later and revealed more of God's plan of salvation, and more and more and more. That's how progressive revelation works. And we are in a privileged place where we now know more about God's plan of salvation than the prophets did. Why did God do it this way? I don't know. But I do know I don't tell all my kids all the information up front. Right? Don't we do this with our own kids? I'm not teaching my three-year-old how to fill up the car with gas. It's just not, not the right time for that. I'm not teaching my nine-year-old how to do taxes. Because I couldn't. Maggie would have to do that and somebody else. Um. But that's not the only reason. Also because they're not there yet at that stage of life. Good parents don't give all the information up front. I would say good leaders, good pastors don't give everything they're thinking up front. That would be disaster for their church. Let me tell you everything that's on my mind. Cause confusion and chaos. Most of the stuff ain't good. Ain't worth talking about. We progressively reveal things as we raise people up and that seems to be the way God has worked with his people. He has progressively revealed the plan of salvation in Jesus Christ over time. But he has given them something. He told them a Messiah would come and save them. There's a good news that the prophets had that was revealed to them and just as a little side comment as well. This is the hope of the Old Testament that a Savior would come. The hope is not more law. The hope is not, we had a lot of law, let me give you some more good advice, good counsel. They had perfect law. That didn't do it. It didn't, couldn't save them. More of law would only bury them further. What Israel needed, and what God was pointing to, was true hope in a person who would suffer and die and rise for them. They were not given good counsel, good advice, or good law. They were given good news. a Savior to look forward to. And we are in a privileged position because we know what they're talking about. We have what the prophets didn't have. We know who the Savior is. And that's encouragement for us when we're discouraged. God has blessed us greatly, even beyond what the prophets had. Jesus himself says this, Matthew 13, 16 and 17. Jesus says, Matthew 13, 16 and 17. Blessed Are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, did not see it; to hear what you hear, did not hear it. People long for what you have. You are privileged people. You have the good news of Jesus Christ, the goal of the prophets. Then in verse 12, Peter tells us the good news is not only the goal of the prophets, it's the gift of the prophets. It's what they gave to us. They wrote, for our benefit, the good news is the gift of the prophets. Verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. My lovely bride is a good cook. Uh, some of you know this. Evidence before you shows it that my wife handles herself well in the kitchen. She loves to cook and she enjoys it. Uh, and she's good at it. But As much as she enjoys it, often if I'm traveling or away, she will take that opportunity not to cook. Not that she doesn't enjoy it, but those are nice reprieves. Not that I demand it also. But she enjoys her time when she isn't cooking. But she loves to cook. And most often won't cook for herself. I think most of us are like that, right? Very rarely do we cook only for ourselves. It's far more joyful uh, far more rewarding to cook for others. When we cook for others, we still eat of it, right? We still benefit. But the greater benefit is to other people. And the greatest benefit Maggie receives, though she cooks for herself, is cooking for others, serving others, that others may be fulfilled. The prophets cook for others. The prophets of the Old Testament were cooking for you. That's what this verse is all about. The prophets of old, as they received the revelation of God and wrote it down and shared it with others and spoke God's truth plainly and truly, they wrote these things down so that when Christ came, that we, a future people, will be able to see and know that Jesus is the Messiah spoken of from the beginning. They wrote their words, they spoke their words from God so that when eventually the Messiah would come that they talked about and when he came on the scene, everybody would be able to go, that's the one. We've heard about him. The prophets wrote about him and spoke about him and now we know who he is. As Peter says, they were serving not themselves, but you. Here's another way of saying this. The Jewish scriptures are Christian. The Old Testament, the Bible of the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures are for Christian people. They are Christian literature. They are Christian words. This is what Marcion got wrong. You might not know who that is, Marcion, and the Marcionites that followed him. He was a theologian who lived about 100 A.D. or so, a little few decades after Christ. One of the early Christian thinkers. And Marcion taught that... the Jesus of the New Testament is substantially different from the God of the Old Testament. Those are two very separate beings and because of that, uh, Marcion taught that we can throw away the Old Testament. That Those aren't the words of our God. The New Testament, and for him specifically, the words of Paul, those are our scriptures. Marcion was a heretic because he rejected the Old Testament as the words of another God. But the Old Testament is Christian Scripture. And many of us need to recover this idea that the Old Testament is Christian Scripture. It is all about the Messiah. So we don't treat it as less than Christian Scripture. It's why we teach on it on Sunday mornings. It's why we have our devotions in the Old Testament because it's about, ultimately, Messiah. And it's for you. That's an amazing word that's there in verse 12. You. Which means that the prophets... Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Malachi, Haggai, all of them, they were writing for you. They were writing for the future people of God, so that you might know Jesus. For the Christians in Asia and Africa and Spain and Rome and France and England, South America, Mexico, Russia and the U.S., for the sons and daughters of CBC, Isaiah spoke the word of God. I don't know how to impress it further with words, but I just want to leave you with this impression. The prophets spoke for your benefit, for you, so that you might know Jesus. And then the apostles came along and preached and proclaimed Jesus. And the power of the same Spirit sent out from heaven. When Jesus ascended, what did he do? He sent the Spirit at Pentecost. And the apostles preached and proclaimed. And their message was, the Savior the prophets spoke about is the Jesus that ministered among us. Paul was put on trial for proclaiming the gospel. And listen to what he says in Acts 26. While on trial, Paul says, Acts 26, 22, and 23, I stand here testifying, both the small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. I'll repeat that again, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that, being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Do you hear what Paul's saying there? We apostles, we're saying what the Old Testament prophets said, that the Savior would suffer and he would rise again for bring light to Jews and Gentiles. We're all saying the same thing. We're all saying what angels in heaven long to look into. Look at that last phrase in verse 12. Things into which angels long to look. Isn't that a fascinating phrase? This salvation... The suffering and the glory of Christ the Messiah, who is Jesus, all of this are the things that angels in heaven long, and that word is strong desire. They long to look into it. You know what surprises me about that? It doesn't say they longed in the past, it says long, present tense, currently, heaven. The angels in heaven are really interested in this. This good news of the Messiah is the stuff that angels get really excited about and has their attention. They presently long to look into it. How could angels, don't don't they know all this? Has it been revealed to them? How could they long to look into it? Well, a couple things, they don't know everything. Just like we don't know everything, there's still more revelation to be revealed. We don't know when Jesus is returning. Only the Father knows that. So we, as privileged as we are, we still have mystery to come. Right? We have things to find out. And the angels are in the same boat. They don't know when the Messiah will return and full judgment and recreate this world and usher us into the new creation. All that will be revealed. And angels are longing to look into that. But I also think what this means is angels long to look into it. I mean, They love to see the gospel and salvation play out. They long to look into it, not in the sense of finding new data, but they long to look into it and say, this is what they're interested in. This is what heaven rejoices in. This is what heaven celebrates. This is what has the attention of heaven, the good news, as it affects people in the world and saves people from sin, this is what gets heaven excited. This is what angels rejoice in. This is what fires them up. Angels long to look into the good news, the suffering and glory of Jesus as it saves sinners from sin. heaven loves it. And this is the gift of that we have written down for us in our scriptures. So what I want to leave you with as we close these last few minutes here is a word uh, that we ought to be excited and be more awestruck at what we actually have in our hands. Like, what is it that we have? We have the thing that heaven gets excited about. And we take it for granted because we're distracted by many things. And I'm putting myself in this as much as anybody. We are distracted by so many things in the world. Our, our Bibles sit in our nightstands and we have Bibles everywhere. How many Bibles do you have? I have one in my car. I have five or six in my office at church. I have about ten more in my office at home. I've got unlimited Bibles on my phone and on my laptop and, and Bibles everywhere else. We are overflowing with Bibles. We have men's Bibles, women's Bibles, kids' Bibles, teen Bibles, children's action Bibles, study Bibles, Ryrie Bibles, MacArthur Bibles, Sproul Bibles. I don't know why people put their name in the Bible, but they do. We have ESV, KJV, NASV, NET, NIV, NLT. What am I missing? CEV. We have so many translations. We have the Greek and Hebrew Bible. We don't touch those. We have no shortage of the Word of God. We are a privileged people. We're talking about the Reformation in our Five Solas class this morning. People like Wycliffe and Luther were persecuted and looked down on because they dared to put the Bible... In the language of the common person in English and German. The people didn't have access to Scripture. And it was revolutionary for some to come along and give people access to the good news that we have. We are incredibly privileged to have Scripture as we do the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. You ever watch shows like Antique Roadshow or Storage Wars or Pawn Stars where people bring their junk? They see, is this worth anything? And the whole reason we watch those shows is because every once in a while you get somebody come in unexpected, unassuming, and they're going to bring in this thing that was handed down to them and they find out it is incredibly valuable. And you get to watch their reaction. That's the joy of that show. We have this word of God in our hands that we often treat like junk and yet it is priceless Romans 1.16 says For I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes do you know what you have in the gospel? you have in the gospel the power of God for salvation to all who believe. That is the dynamite, the power, the explosive thing we have as privileged people, the good news of Jesus Christ. And I think at times we're bored with it so we get excited about other things. I'm going to step in a landmine potentially. Is that okay? And this has come up enough often that you're going to think I'm talking to you. And I promise I'm not. But we were talking about this at our elder meeting on Thursday night, more serious thing we were talking about. And it's the chosen. So there's a chosen popular thing. All sorts of people are interested in it. So we were talking about it just because we're hearing about it from different angles. I'm not going to say whether I love the chosen or not, whether it's good or not. I'm just going to issue one caution. The caution being, when I hear things like, and this is what concerns me, when I've heard people say, I've never had the Bible come to life for me like that. And we're almost hinting at, you know, now I can understand the Bible, and I'm really excited about it. My caution is a fictional show is not what angels long to look into. So it's not me commenting on whether it's good or not, or whether it's helpful or not. I would say the same thing about the commentaries I read. Those aren't the things that angels long to look into. They are the things we get excited about to the extent that they point us to the true scriptures which point us to Jesus. And if we start getting excited about other things far more than the Bible itself, and that's where pastorally I have a little bit of a caution, let's be excited about scripture itself because that is the thing that God uses because that is the thing which communicates the good news of Jesus Christ the power for salvation and when we are discouraged by various trials consider the gift we have we know the savior So when we struggle with death and sickness and are discouraged, we know the Savior. When we are weak by the challenges of the world, we know the Savior. When others look down upon us and mock us for our faith, we know the Savior. When we feel lost, we know our Savior. When we are burdened by the pressures of the world, we know our Savior. We are hurt by the sins of others. We know our Savior. When we're hurt by our own sins and discouraged by our own ineptitude and our own failings, we know our Savior. Peter wants you to be encouraged. You are a privileged people. You know your Savior. In all the ups and downs in life, you know the Savior in a way no one else in history has. The good news is our great privilege. It's the goal and gift of the prophets. So my last question... Do you know the good news? And is this your encouragement? Do you know who the Savior is? What all the Old Testament is looking towards? If you're not a Christian today, I want you to know this, that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one who suffered and died Executed on a cross for our sins, so that we might live. And he rose again. He ascended into heaven, raised in glory and honor and power. And he rules over this world as king. And he will come again to judge this world and to fix everything and make all things new. That is the good news that we have. If you don't know it, I pray you know it. If you know it, I pray you're encouraged by it. It is the great privilege we have as God's people. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the privilege we have uh, that we know Jesus Christ. There's no greater privilege because this is the one thing the world needs more than food, more than water, more than housing or home, more than family, more than friends, more than love, more than touch. We know who our Savior is, and that is the greatest thing we need. It's what the world needs. You have given us everything in Your Son. So help us, Lord, to know Him, to love Him, to be encouraged by the good news that we have, to be excited about it, not out of some false piety, but because we truly love our Lord Jesus. May we walk in that joy in every trial. Amen.